Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Hey, happy 2020. This is my first podcast in this new year and also in this decade. And I want to welcome you to it. I would encourage you to share these podcasts with your ministry leaders, with your friends, with your pastors. Uh, That's one thing you can do to help promote what Before You Quit podcasts are all about. Okay, so a little intro on what we're we're going to do today, and then we'll jump right into the uh, conversation with Dr. Bill Ronsheimer. Uh, I know that the topic we're going to be touching on is something that is, is probably not talked about much. I think we're doing a lot better doing this now. It certainly has been a reality for uh, a long time in the church, but uh, again, I think we're doing better talking about it. Um, and it's the subject of, uh, of sexual abuse. I know in my 30-some years of pastoring, this was a very real subject. It was a reality in the experience of the church community. And uh, in fact, in, in my counseling and pastoral ministry, I would meet countless people who in the process of, of uh, you know, them talking to me about issues in their life, they would, sadly, their, their story would include the painful experience of having been sexually abused. Uh, devastating thing to hear. And it's been wonderful, again, to see how the gospel uh, helps people to pull through that, uh, to heal. Uh, but that usually comes by talking to someone about it and seeking help. Um, while the, the impact of this doesn't hit often, until well into adulthood, which could be why uh, people are accustomed to suppressing it, not talking about it. But it is something too, and this is what is we're going to be focusing on today. Uh, it's something that impacts the marriage relationship. Well, that brings us to our special guest today, Dr. Bill Ronsheimer, uh, who knows firsthand what it's like to be married to someone who's been sexually abused. Bill is now, he's retired. He'd been the pastor at Alliance Bible Church in Mequon, Wisconsin for 39 years, and he is now the president of Marriage Reconstruction Ministries, and he lives up in Minnesota uh, with his wife, Pamela, and uh, I know he's also near his children and grandchildren here. Uh, but it's here that they launched uh, Marriage Reconstruction Ministries in order to support and help men and women rebuild marriages affected by, particularly, and this is the focus of their ministry, the wife's sexual, uh, childhood sexual abuse. And after 40 years of marriage, the Ronsheimers have two married daughters, three grandchildren, and as I said, they live in Minnesota. Uh, Bill and Pamela have also listed their personal blogs uh, in their, on their website, which uh, is marriageconstructionministries.org. And Bill is also the, the author of a great book that I read before intervie- interviewing him called Help, My Wife is a Survivor of Sexual Abuse. So let's go ahead and jump into that conversation right now. Okay, I have the opportunity to interview for the second time. Uh, this time, he's Doctor Bill Ronsheimer. Last night, last time, Bill, you were not a doctor, so no, I congratulations on that. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it, the uh, the subject is way different than what we talked about last time. Last time, uh, you were my pastor. I worked with you in uh, north of Milwaukee at Alliance Bible Church in Mequon. And after 39 years, you 
you retired. I joked with you that uh, you were just shy of that biblical forty years. And uh, I recall you know, that. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to make had to make fun of you about that. Just just came shy mm-hmm. of you know all the the significance of the forties in, in the Old Testament and especially, but. Um, I'm sure you've made up for it since in many ways. Well, tell us uh, just real briefly, what uh, uh, what are you doing now? Uh, talk about, um, you know, you've entered into a new kind of ministry. So just give us just a few minutes here, just uh, catching us up from last sure. time we did the podcast. Well, in the later years of uh, my ministry in Mequon, Pamela and I became involved in what we are now doing, and that is working with couples whose marriage has been affected by childhood sexual abuse. So three and a half years ago, I retired from pastoral ministry. We moved to Minneapolis area. We have uh, two daughters and their families that live here. So we moved here and we launched Marriage Reconstruction Ministries, whose mission is to help men and women rebuild marriages affected by a wife's childhood sexual abuse. We don't intend to ignore situations where a husband was abused as a child and uh, a wife is the partner of that survivor. (laughs) But our specialty is in a situation similar to ours where it was a wife's childhood sexual abuse. Uh, I'm also an adjunct professor at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, which is a Christian university, uh, just 15 minutes away from us. So I'm enjoying what uh, uh, Gordon MacDonald has used the term redeployment, mm. and that's how I see myself. I'm still doing pastoral ministry, but in a different context, in a very specific context. Yeah, that, uh, that's reconstruction. Yeah, I, and I anticipated that you, knowing you so well, I knew that you would not uh, uh, transition into a rocking chair and do nothing. Uh, you've always had oh. passion and energy. And uh, yeah, and also a I, I, number of times we've done a podcast or two where we've talked about what this, uh, what I refer to as that that third season of of ministry right. life of uh, what what does it look like to con- continue serving Jesus when you are no longer in you know a, a vocational ministry. Um, mm-hmm. So that's uh, you were very intentional in doing that before leaving. Uh, just to circle back on on something you mentioned because it was it was intentional in your approach to to this a spouse being married to someone who's been sexually abused uh is it more prevalent that it is the the wife who has experienced that or do you find even though you haven't necessarily gone there uh is that reversed it's more prevalent uh, that a wife is the one who is abused the the research consistently shows that at least one in four women have been sexually abused by the time they are 18 years old. I know that's a statistic that that is really hard to accept for people, but the research keeps showing that. And for men, uh, the number is more like at least one in six. Yeah, uh, well, it doesn't it doesn't there. surprise me. the The amount of counseling that I have done, even when I was still pastoring, um, I that that certainly came through. Uh, I could I could attest to that that it's it's a prevalence. In fact. It's a uh, it's it's a factor in many of the things that people struggle with, uh, as you know. Um, okay, so right. let's let's jump in a little deeper here. You you wrote a book entitled um, "Help Help." My wife is a survivor of sexual abuse. Uh, let's begin with why you wrote that book. Well, as I mentioned, my wife is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, and unfortunately, when I learned about it, which was ten years into our marriage, I was ignorant and arrogant, ignorant of the effects, what that meant for her, and too arrogant 
to humble myself to get the right kind of help. And so eight years went by without getting the right kind of help. And she ended up in the psychiatric ward of a hospital for four weeks. That was the first of multiple hospitalizations. And we both entered into counseling. It wasn't just Pamela. And years later, and this is really cutting through a lot of detail, but years later, we began making several <laughs> observations. One was that God was bringing healing to us. Another observation was that not many other, not many other couples in our situation were experiencing the same. And then there was, and still is, a lack of resources for husbands when his wife is a survivor of the sexual abuse. So eventually, we began sensing a call to be good stewards of God's healing. Mm -hmm. And in order to prepare for whatever God had, I went back to school uh, in uh, 2008 and I pursued a doctorate. I engaged in social research, interviewing husbands across the country whose wives are survivors of sexual abuse. So the book is not simply my story. It's a compilation of what has been found uh, in other uh, marriages as well. And in the process, when I, was, when I was all done with the research, I realized that there were questions that kept I kept hearing. And I listed them one day and Sure enough, 10 questions, and those questions comprise the chapters. Of the yeah, book. we'll go. I'd like to just go over those real quick in, in a second here. You know, it's interesting you you mentioned that uh, uh, the resources aren't there um, when this is happening. And um, I, I wonder also if people don't have the, the the boldness to talk about it or to seek help. I mean, is it, it's certainly more much more prevalent than we see. Uh, right. But do you think people right. are just living with it, uh, enduring, it eats them up, it's eroding maybe, but... Um, yeah, Mitch, that, that, that is, that's exactly what goes on. And, and if I had to point to one reason why that is, there is so much shame attached mm -hmm. to sure. sexual abuse. And that is not because the survivor is guilty of something, but shame makes them feel that they themselves are bad to the core. And, and therefore, it's hard for them to uh, disclose what happened to them. And in many situations, when they did begin disclosing, uh, someone either suggested that maybe they had been part of it that brought it on, which is just awful. Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. it's, a, a, it's almost re-traumatizing the person all over again. It's a disbelief. Oh, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so could have never done that. Yeah. And yeah. then sometimes it's the threat of the perpetrator. And you know, yeah. we see that a lot with the uh, Me Too movement. Recently. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of my goals with this podcast, a huge goal, is is to see the church community be a healing place for everyone uh, who is, uh, you know, seeking to walk in obedience to Christ, but in the process finding that it's hard, it's struggle, and, and uh, you know, there's struggles there. And sometimes people feel, uh, I mean, we, I think you and I have experienced this too, that in our sanctification, our growth, that uh, these things are a roadblock to that. They're an impediment to spiritual growth, but they're not. They're, they're actually part of what God uses to grow us, but community plays a huge part in that. So one of the things that we will certainly circle back to is particularly in this area of sexual abuse is what is the role of the community and um, mm -hmm. making it easier for people to come forward and say, I need help and, and hey, this is a safe place but a growing place. And uh, yeah, it might you know, lend itself to counseling, to support teams, 
so right. I, I just want to bring, I want to keep reminding the listener that uh, this is not just about talking about this, but it's talking about how the church community needs to be addressing this and receiving it. Right. Uh, let's make sure we circle back to that. That is. Yeah, we will. It, yeah, it's, I think it's in my question, one of my questions. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been, I've been on a, uh, uh, I've been driven with that recently. Uh, I'm interviewing someone, two episodes coming up, just to let the listeners know, my, my two listeners who get really excited when I share what's, going, <laughs> what's coming up next. There might be three or four now. It's, it's doubled. But uh, on, on addiction, uh, I'll be interviewing a professional counselor. A psych- I think he's a psychologist who deals with this in, in church and uh, also eating disorders. Um, how do we, you, I'm going to actually be interviewing someone you, you and I both know very well. She's eager to tell her story. Oh, and, uh, yeah. and I, I just, I feel, I have felt in the past, Bill, that these things, and I mean, we can, we can talk about this now, that these things are, you know, we, we refer people to professionals so quickly, which is needed. Um, but it's hush and rush, I call it, you know, rush them out, hush, don't talk about it it's because of the stigmas. And uh, I'm just looking for a better way for community to be talking about this. I think one of the ways is that when people has exper- have experienced a level of victory, that we have them share about it, you know, because mm-hmm. that, uh, that makes others feel uh, like, hey, maybe this is a place that I can come. Um, yeah, I mean, sure, let's, if you want to, any, any preliminary thoughts on that, we'll, we definitely will circle back to that. Well, yes, the transparency. When we began talking about it uh, in Mequon and opening up our own lives, I believe it was a turning point for church. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Up to that point, it was you know, and I, I was part of the part of the difficulty, and that is everything was about looking right and looking correct. And mm-hmm. when God broke me in this whole process, and I began uh, when when all of the facade began coming off and, and acknowledged our struggles, uh, uh, it gave others freedom, the courage, mm-hmm. and the freedom to also uh, share their own stories. Yeah, and, I think. Uh, that for the church, we need to, a, a first step is just stop denying, uh, stop thinking that these things don't happen in the church, stop thinking that these things don't happen to good Christian people. Pamela and I were recently at the American Association of Christian Counselors, uh, their big world conference, mm-hmm. they held it in Nashville, and we had an exhibit booth there. And this is so impressed in my mind. There was a lady who walked by and she said, oh, she saw our booth. She saw that we ministered to couples whose marriage has been affected by sexual abuse. And she said, oh, I'm, I'm just so thankful that I was surrounded by Christians growing up. And after mm. I calmed, mm. calmed myself, I said to her, but you need to know that there are people like my wife. My wife was sexually abused in a Christian school. <coughs> by a and, Christian, and it, supposedly. It, by a Christian, yes. And and it surprised her. But to me, it just was another indication of how uh, two things, we deny it. And it, it is such a shameful thing. We don't want to acknowledge mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. this happened. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I refer to this again. I know people maybe who are close to me, proximix wise, and even the church that I attend, um, you know, I, I, I sometimes say something and I, I, I think, oh, uh, what, are, what are they thinking about me as I'm saying this about our church? Uh, but just to, just generally when we, it, people show up and we're like, Hey, who's excited to be here today? Raise your hand if you're happy to be here. And, 
I'm, I'm thinking, no, there's probably people here who've had a really, really rough week. And I think that's one way to, even in our formatting, even in our yeah. inviting people yeah. to repentance and to acknowledgement that Christ is, is the one who embraces and forgives and, and there's that reassurance of pardon. And I'm not saying that we mope. I think there is wonderful room. I, th- I, I, I think we have a pretty good balance, actually, where, where I worship. Yeah, this, uh, I think we could easily get into a whole different topic on how the church can, can serve as a healing community. But um, let's, I, and we might get back to that in a few minutes here, but I don't want to get uh, stuck there too much. So your, your book is, is based on 10 questions, and I'm going to read the questions, and then I'm going to ask you uh, which question of these, of these 10 was the hardest for you to write and why. So number one, what is a normal marriage? When do I get my wife back? Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go? Why doesn't God heal my wife? When will the when will this be over? Why can't she just get over it? What should I do with my anger towards her perpetrator? Our sexual relationship is in trouble. What should I do? Why is it so difficult to communicate with my wife? And why does she seem to change at the flip of a switch? And by the way, if I didn't mention this, this is your book recently out, Help My Wife as a Survivor of Sexual Abuse. Oh, I did mention that. Another plug. Of those questions, <laughs> which, was, which was the hardest and why? None, none of them were easy. Uh, it was a long process writing this book. I know that uh, the question, why can't she just get over it? I know that was difficult to write because of the regret I felt that some of my own responses uh, during the difficult years, something would happen. Um, there was a certain effect that would demonstrate itself again for Pamela. And I would say this again, and oh, I wish I could take I wish I could take that attitude back, that tone, those words back. What I was not realizing, Mitch, was sexual abuse is traumatic for the person who has to endure it. And so they have been traumatized. And that is why since the 90s, there has been, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, a a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, the same type of thing that war veterans face. And we would never, ever say to a war veteran, why can't you just get over it? And we fail to realize that a sexual abuse survivor has faced trauma. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and in their case, not coming from the enemy, as it would be with a war veteran, but coming from somebody who is supposed to be caring for them. So my own insensitivity to Mm -hmm. that trauma uh, I, I, I so regret it. And, 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 you know, Pamela has forgiven and she does not want me to live in regret, but that made it difficult to write the chapter. There were other chapters that were difficult, but it was more the process of going through it than the writing of the chapter. Uh, mm-hmm. My anger towards the perpetrator, that, that's a chapter that, that has victory in it. But, oh, my goodness, the process of going through the anger I had, that was, that was uh, one of the biggest challenges of my life. Yeah, and you talk later in the book about the, the, the role of anger, that that actually is a healthy part of the process. Uh, you know, it's the person it, who right. does nothing uh, in these kind of cases who um, – 
in fact, you let me let me quote something here. Uh, you, this is jumping way ahead in what I sent you, but this is this is I love this line. You you mentioned that a husband's dismissive response repeats the horror of her unheeded cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did this look like in your story? Did you did you feel so? Are you acknowledging that you were a dismissive husband? And tell us as you answer that, how, how long was it into the marriage before you realized that this had happened? That this was part of well, her story. Right. And Pamela always knew it's not that she had forgotten this had happened. She did not. She just didn't think for years that it was affecting her until until just some dark years that that came upon her. And 10 years into the marriage, she revealed. Okay, Um, so it was 10 years. You married 10 years, had no idea that this was part of her story. No idea. I had wow. no idea. We thought we had a great marriage. And in many ways, we did have a great marriage. But when she did reveal, I, like even other husbands I interviewed, it was like, okay, there's a data point. Uh, you know, I have to keep that in mind. But I had no idea, again, that it was trauma and the effects that come out of that and the struggle it is for the, for the survivors. So not educating myself and understanding and empathizing, knowing what it was to be in her shoes was really dismissive of her. What, and it, it was years later that I really uh, came to understand this. When I was uh, in my studies for my doctorate and interviewing other men across the country, I was, Pamela and I had so little time together. I'd come home from you know church ministry. We'd have a quick supper. I'd go downstairs and start working on my research stuff. But she said that during those years, she felt so loved. I could not figure Mm. that out until (laughs) one day it occurred to me, I was understanding all of my work. I was coming to an understanding of what it was to be in her. Mm. Uh, Because you were delving into it. You were entering into that world. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. At that point, she knew she wasn't being dismissed. She knew she was loved. Mm. I needed to learn later on that not only did I need to understand what it was to be in her shoes, but unfortunately for a while, I forgot what it was to be in my shoes. And I became codependent. I smothered her. Uh, But empathy, true empathy is knowing what it is to be in the other person's shoes while simultaneously remembering what it is to be in our shoes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, uh, on an aside, and then I want to, I want to talk to you about the importance of adapting, which is, is key in your research and something that stood out in my book. Uh, there are a lot of, a lot of missionary kids who, uh, were sent off to boarding school, uh, early on. And, and as the years have gone, we keep hearing stories of, of stuff that had happened and, and uh, you know what had been done to some kids, and and some people just scooted off, and there was no uh, no repercussions for that. And so, uh, you know, a lot, good number of missionary kids, MKs, uh, grow up with this in their uh, their experience. And I don't at all uh, want to get into any detail, but the, there was there were some things that uh, that I had observed and and sort of been. Privy to that as a six seven year old was confusing and shocking and uh, and years later I talked to my brother about it and and that was a moment of healing for me the thirty I think thirty years later I I said hey did you know that this happened and he says yeah it was happening a, a lot um, so mm-hmm. for someone who's been holding this in um, how how significant is that moment where you just tell somebody that this happened 
Well, I, it'd be better for a survivor uh, to answer that. Um, but it, it's the beginning. Well, that's what, point. That's what I'm referring to. It, it, yes, a, a survivor, someone who's been uh, who's been affected by by sexual abuse of some kind. Yeah, it's the doorway that opens to the possibility of great healing in their lives. That's what happens at that point. Uh, there's a lot that needs to be sorted out with the help of others, with a professional mm-hmm. counselor, once once they are able to get to that point. But that's huge. That's huge to recognize what has happened and to be able to speak it. Uh, it's being part of being made in the image of God is that we have a voice. Uh, God spoke and you know creation came into being and he passed on to us the ability to speak. Uh, so it's a powerful thing when we speak what has occurred and then realize that, okay, I need help. I'm, somebody's going to need to help me in the journey towards healing. Is that, am I addressing that? Yeah, absolutely, question? yeah. And I, I think the tendency has been in, in our world, uh, in our tribe, is that oh, I, never, I can't do it unless I talk to the perpetrator or I talk to people who are there. Uh, but no, you need to, sometimes the safest thing is to talk to someone else who's trusted. Um, mm-hmm. And again, so I, again, I'm assuming there are people listening to this who have said, man, yeah, this, this did occur. I'm married. It's affecting my marriage. I've never talked to anybody about it. Because who do I talk to? What can I do? No, start start with somebody. Start with a trusted friend. Uh, no, right. that's the very helpful. Uh, you talk about uh, the four uh, ways to react. So there's four or five. There's there are the options, and I think the context here is when you find out that you've been sexually abused or you're married to someone who who is. Uh, you can either quit. Uh, you can win. Choose to win. You can lose. Yeah. Uh, or you can adapt, and you are a proponent mm-hmm. for adapting. Uh, talk about adapting, what that looks like. What is it that, I guess the hard question here is, what, what is the, what's the key thing that keeps couples in their relationships when this has been their experience? Oh, wow. I, I don't know if I can bring it down to, to one key. I can, I can list several things here that were important for us. Uh, Definitely, our commitment to the Lord made a huge difference here. I, I mm-hmm. do not know how people get through this with, without Christ. I, well, let me I make really this personal for know. you uh, and, and expand on that. But what kept the two of you in this marriage? Fortunately, Pamela, you know her strong commitment to the Lord. Uh, I would I would argue that in her darkest years, that was when she was closest to the Lord. I mean, she was hanging on to the Lord, and the Lord was hanging on to her. That's all she had. Was she angry at God? Yeah, there were definitely times when that was the case. But bottom line was, Lord, you're the only one that can get us through this. Mm. Along with that was a, a commitment to our vows. You know, there are, mm-hmm. there were some days, uh, and I'm sure it was true for Pamela as well, when when all I had was to go back to that vow. And you know, Mitch, I think you and I talked about this back in those years too, that, that we made a, a vow. And I was blessed. I was blessed in that Pamela always worked hard in the counseling process. Uh, she was courageous and just kept pressing on. For me as a husband, that helped me to stay with it, to stay with it. I, it's, it's tougher for husbands whose wives don't think they have any type of difficulty with this. Um, mm-hmm. I was fortunate that, that Pamela worked towards it. Then, boy, I don't want to miss this, Mitch. Um, 
there was a ton of transformation and growth that needed to occur in my own life. Uh, I don't in any way, I would not want this book or this interview to come across as though Pamela was the patient and I just was kind of riding along in the process. Mm -hmm. There are, there often are ways in which and this was true for us, the baggage and the sin that I had in my own life was complementary to the struggles that Pamela had. And if I would have not uh, been broken by the Lord and transformed and grown in him, I would have held Pamela back from the healing. Mm -hmm. As husbands, we, we cannot fix our wives, but we can certainly sabotage their healing. So adapting, uh, I, uh, part of that was the the awareness and the willingness that okay God there's a work you need to do in my life mm-hmm. and, and this uh, you know this is not easy but I know you need to work in me. There's two there's two main points that that you make I think that I, I would uh, argue is your your foundation that you're you're placing for this uh, this adapting to happen and and by the way before I look at that I you also. Again, I was I was there for five years uh, working there with you and and saw this that you had a, a community of men around you and and they trusted mm-hmm. you you trusted them and they allowed this healing this adapt. I'm sure you had you could tell stories of, of the opposite too but what I observed was tremendous amount of healing and and encouragement um, but there there are two things you you talk about the difference between uh, instant healing and and working through the problem in fact dr archibald's archibald's research you cite is 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 you know data behind that that it's uh there's value in working when it's hard rather than being instantly healed and uh and then Mm -hmm. the other and i love your and speak to both of these the other thing you talk about is the difference between waiting and waiting as in waiting in a pool um Mm -hmm. really really helpful Can, can you expand just just briefly on how that those things helped you as far as what I learned from uh, Dr. Archibald Hart, uh, for me, if, if God would have granted the instantaneous miracle, if he would have gone that route, I would have thanked him, and then I would have moved on with my life just as I had always been, still attempting to be in control, still attempting to use God whenever I needed him for the next miracle. But by working through the problem, God had access to the deeper stuff within me that that he wanted to transform. So it was invaluable to me that rather than uh, working a miracle, God did the miracle of enabling us to come through a long journey and and feel the pain and go through it, but also experience the freedom and the healing and the transformation that only comes from him. So yes, it it goes beyond just waiting uh, to this matter of ongoing stability and a resilience, and I call it waiting. When we are waiting, we're asking how long. But when we are waiting, as in a pool, we're asking, what is there to be learned from? Mm. Uh, mm. If I'm if I'm just waiting, I'm I'm passive. But if I'm waiting, I'm actively engaged, knowing that this is going to be a a strength builder in my own life. Uh, there, there's there's too many times when people are waiting for or who, who see things as happening to them. But I've seen <clears throat> in this that God allowed this to happen not to us 
but for us, for the mm-hmm. finer purposes that, I he love had, that. Mm-hmm. that he wanted to bring about. Yeah, I love your analogy of being at a grocery store and seeing the shorter line and wanting to, you know, rush there. Yeah. And that's, that's our impulse with life. But when that happens yeah. to me, the, the lady, the person, gal or girl takes a break. So I lose, I lost my place in line. <laughs> yeah. We, we love it. Don't we? When we get that airline ticket and we see that it's got the TSA pre-check on it. Oh, yeah. good. I don't have to wait as long. Yeah. Yeah. You're waiting inside as well. <laughs> Plane leaves <laughs> right. at the same yeah. time. Yeah. That's right. Uh, it That's doesn't right. leave in port. It doesn't leave in phases, airplanes. <laughs> the uh-huh. whole plane leaves. Yeah. Um, so, um, what, what has been the role that, and obviously it has to play a key role here. And again, I'm sure it's a whole process getting, getting here, but forgiveness, what's the role of forgiveness in, in that healing? And I, and also with that, we haven't talked about this, but what, what do we mean by healing? What does healing look like? Hmm. Well, and I'll speak in, in my case for me, uh, I did not know who the perpetrator was uh, initially. I it, so the perpetrator in my mind was just some monster, and and I went years just with with that concept. He wasn't tangible. How could somebody ever do that? So I I never saw him as tangible, just a monster. And then uh, through some coincidences, I, I I found out where this man lived, and all of a sudden this rage came upon me. He's a real person who lives in a real house, who has an address. And, you know, in Hebrews, it speaks of the sin that so easily besets us. And I, you know, like most guys, I, I typically think, well, that, that's talking about a sexual sin. You know, that's where we can so easily trip up. Never, ever had I thought that for me, that could be an issue of murder, that the mm. sin that would so easily entangle me could be murder. because Mitch. I fantasize. I fantasize about killing this guy. I mean, mm. it's in the book. I, I, sometimes yeah. I wonder if I could be arrested for what I wrote. But um, and I, I preached all these sermons on forgiveness and could not get to the point of forgiving. And I remember asking the staff. I I don't recall Mitch if you were still on staff at that point, but just saying, "Hey, I've got this rage. I don't know what to do with it. Just pray, pray for me." It, and months later, I was sitting in a, a communion service uh, at one of our district conferences, and, and the pastor gave uh, the simplest devotional on forgiveness. In fact, in my heart, I was actually mocking it to start with. It was so simple. And then midway through, God, by the Holy Spirit, just came in on me like gangbuster. One of the points in this message was uh, forgiveness is rec- is uh is being willing to take the hit for the wrong that was done because that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Mm -hmm. Jesus took the hit for my sin. And I realize that as I'm living with Pamela and she has, she's living with all these effects and I'm alongside her with all these effects, forgiveness was a willingness to accept that hit on our lives Mm -hmm. that had been inflicted by the perpetrator, but releasing him from that and not Mm -hmm. keeping score any longer. I literally, it was physically and spiritually gut-wrenching for me in that service, but I came to the point and it was a very simple prayer. In fact, I said, God, does a simple prayer work here? It seems too easy, but I simply came to the point of saying, I forgive him. Mitch, the rage 
has been gone. And that was many years ago. It has been completely gone. I don't know how to, how to best describe it. So for me, the healing was being completely free from this rage that was consuming me. Frederick Buechner has such a great quote on this, that anger really consumes us. We salivate over it and everything. And we, in some, time, some ways, sometimes love our anger, but it actually eats. No longer was I being eaten by that rage. So the best yeah. word I have wow. to describe the healing is freedom freedom from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm impressed with, uh, with that. And I know that with that, uh, not to put the words into your mouth, but I, I know you well enough that, and I know some of your story too, that the gospel provides that, right? The, the, the gospel, knowing what Jesus did for us, the story of his redemptive work, his resurrection, his conquering death, his ascension, his promised return, um, it's more than a model. It's an empowering and enabling that's mm-hmm. given to us to mm-hmm. do the same. But with that, one key thing we don't talk about about the gospel, we talk about love, we talk about how good he is, how purposeful he is, how redemptive he is. We don't talk about how just he is, that in mm-hmm. the end, he will, he will mete out justice. And I, I, I talk a lot about this with, with people who are stuck with something that's been done. Is, you know, remember, God is also a God of just. And you, f- you might feel like someone got away with something. And I don't know what phase this is important to come to. It's probably not the last thing you, you, you wrestle with. It's probably early on. It's like, I'm going I'm to leave the retribution to God. I'm going to let him be the one to, to meet out if that person is never. Because the hardest thing for, for us in a conversation like this is if someone never acknowledges that they did what they did to a young child. That angers us. When they do, that's huge. You know, we're able to say, thankful, you know, he's right with God. We want him right with God. We don't want him to suffer eternally. And this being one of the tormenting things that are brought back to to the memory. Um, But uh, yeah, justice. So how how important was that in your story? Well, I think of the verse uh, in James, uh, well, it's taken from the Old Testament. uh, It's brought up again in in, James. in James of vengeance is mine, says mm-hmm. the Lord. And, mm-hmm. and there's a danger there. We could, no, pardon me, it's in Romans 12. That's what I, that's what mm-hmm. I'm quoting. And it's quoting from the Old Testament, vengeance is mine. And it would be easy for us to slip into a, again, a di- kind of a passive anger. Okay, God's going to take yep. care of us. Yep. You know, if yep. we wait for that time when we hear bad news of what happened to the perpetrator, but that's not forgiveness. Right. Uh, forgiveness right. is resting in the fact that, yes, God is just. Justice will be done. But it's not wishing for ill will upon that mm-hmm. perpetrator either, Because, but by the grace of God, there go I. There's plenty of things in my life where God could beat up on me. Mm-hmm. Um, who am I to point towards somebody else? Mm-hmm. Their sin maybe brought way more consequences, but in God's eyes, the darkness of sin is all the same. Yeah, and, and da- David David with Saul, we see that example over and over again, that he saw the image bearer in that person. Uh, yeah, the balance to what I'm sharing and you're adding to is that the, the, this does not take away from, it should never lead to passivity. There still should be the the, the effort to bring to light those things that have been done in darkness, use the right ways to do that 
And, uh, but right. once you can't, I think that's when that realization, you know, the Lord's got this. And that's, I think that's part of the right. healing and peace that comes. Right. Uh, last question, True. True. uh, because I, I've got to go to something, um, a young couple, uh, oh, by the way, I won't read it here, but just to, uh, wish we had time and on the end of your book, you, you write, uh, include a prayer that, uh, that you wrote. Uh, or, you know, somewhat early on in this whole process um, is interesting. I looked at the date and I thought oh, I was, I was working there when you wrote that prayer. <laughs> mm. um, and uh, I, I wondered if uh, you were right next door when you did, but it's so powerful. And the question I wanted to ask was how, how has God answered this prayer? But I would include, I would really encourage people to purchase this book. And I actually started there. I opened the back or saw that prayer and, it, it just moved me to tears. And I'm so thankful that God has brought both you and Pamela uh, through uh, so much. And you, you've, you've waited on him, literally waited uh, with him and on him and trusted him and, uh, and grown through that. I, I, I just love how this is a story that um, can be an encouragement. It's a ministry now to people. And how, how redemptive is that, that God takes something so tragic and now in this last third right. of your life, it's a ministry. It's, it's all redemptive. Yeah. 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 So a young couple, uh, really struggling with this. They've just, you know, just had that hard conversation. Uh, they come to you for help. What do you, what do you say to give them hope? Well, I want them to know that healing can occur. I want them to know that nothing has taught me more about God, more about myself, more about love and marriage than this journey. Hmm. Uh, I want them to know that when we surrender, to God, uh, to what God wants to do in us personally, uh, we can then experience freedom and maturity that we never thought possible. I want them to know that they're going to feel alone, but they really are not alone. And, and then to urge them towards getting good help from a professional counselor. You know, I, I, I want to mention to, to folks that our website offers a lot of help, marriagereconstructionministries.org. Mm-hmm. Um, getting the book, reading good material, but having people in your life that can, who are aware of this issue and mm-hmm. can help you navigate through it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Then, yeah. And even know, if they're, even if they're not aware, find someone to let them uh, enter into that story so that they mm-hmm. now can be, uh, you know, a support system to you. Right. 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 You know, there's nothing we face in this life, Mitch, that Jesus hasn't gone through. Mm. And that was a huge learning point for me. I remember driving to work one day, just kind of yelling at God, because I felt there there are times when a survivor of abuse just distances themselves from others because, um, well, for a number of reasons. And I just felt a distance from Pamela. Mm. And I, mm. Oh, man. And I was upset with God because of that. And, and God just tenderly whispered into my soul, Bill, I know what you mean. Yeah. Because there's times, yeah. this is God speaking, because mm-hmm. there's times when you've distanced yourself from me. Mm. And I thought, oh, mm. my goodness. What, whether it's a distancing or a rejection or whatever, Jesus, there isn't a thing that Jesus hasn't faced. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I so felt his closeness during that time when I was open to it. Yeah. So, yeah, in this time of the year, we remember he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Mm-hmm. That's right. a story story of our Emmanuel. Well, Bill, thank you, yeah. thank you so much. This has been a wow. We kind of just sped through this, and I think covered everything. At least, uh, yeah, at least most things. One more thing. 
absolutely. Yeah. One more do. thing. You, you wondered how can the community respond? Now, I sure hope people look at the book I've written, but I want to mention one other book written by Mary DeMuth, D-E-M-U-T-H, entitled We Too, How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to the Sexual Abuse Crisis. Mm, There's a lot I could good. say, Mitch, but if I can just point people to that book, it's a new book. Um, I do believe the church community needs to be educated on this uh, to learn how to listen and uh, to learn and be ready to help others. You know, a lot of churches do uh, training for, uh, you know, just being uh, protective and and proactive and, you know, what do you do when, you know, and ha having policies in place, always having two people go to a restroom with kids. And, and I, I think resources like this are good because it helps them to understand why we're doing this and, and that uh, this is a reality yeah. in our world. It's a reality in our church. Uh, Bill, mm -hmm. thank you so much. I will, I will put that resource on the website, your book and your website as well. It has been awesome catching up with you today. Uh, Mitch, I love you. I thank you for the opportunity. Really grateful for it. Love you too, Bill. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Before You Quit. If you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today, on this Before You Quit podcast, I'd love for you to email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged, be courageous, because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.